Chapter 1.2 of the 9-11 Commission Report This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 1.2 Improvising a Homeland Defense Recording by Eugene Smith The FAA and NORAD on 9-11, the defense of U.S. airspace depended on close interaction between two federal agencies, the FAA and the North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD. The most recent hijacking that involved U.S. air traffic controllers, FAA management, and military coordination had occurred in 1993. In order to understand how the two agencies interacted eight years later, we will review their missions, command, and control structures, and working relationship on the morning of 9-11. FAA Mission and Structure As of September 11, 2001, the FAA was mandated by law to regulate the safety and security of civil aviation. From an air traffic controller's perspective, that meant maintaining a safe distance between airborne aircraft. Many controllers work at the FAA's 22 air route traffic control centers. They are grouped under regional offices and coordinate closely with the National Air Traffic Control System Command Center located in Herndon, Virginia, which oversees daily traffic flow within the entire airspace system. FAA headquarters is ultimately responsible for the management of the National Airspace System. The operations center, located at FAA headquarters, receives notifications of incidents, including accidents and hijackings. FAA control centers often receive information and make operational decisions independently of one another. On 9-11, the four hijacked aircraft were monitored mainly by the centers in Boston, New York, Cleveland, and Indianapolis. Each center thus had part of the knowledge of what was going on across the system. What Boston knew was not necessarily known by centers in New York, Cleveland, or Indianapolis, or for that matter by the command center in Herndon, or by FAA headquarters in Washington. Controllers track airliners such as the four aircraft hijacked on 9-11 primarily by watching the data from a signal emitted by each aircraft's transponder equipment. Those four planes, like all aircraft traveling above 10,000 feet, were required to emit a unique transponder signal while in flight. On 9-11, the terrorists turned off the transponders on three of the four hijacked aircraft. With its transponder off, it is possible, though more difficult, to track an aircraft by its primary radar returns. But unlike transponder data, primary radar returns do not show the aircraft's identity and altitude. Controllers at centers rely so heavily on transponder signals that they usually do not display primary radar returns on their radar scopes. But they can change the configuration of their scopes so they can see primary radar returns. They did this on 9-11 when the transponder signals for three of the aircraft disappeared. Before 9-11, it was not unheard of for a commercial aircraft to deviate slightly from its course or for an FAA controller to lose radio contact with a pilot for a short period of time. A controller could also briefly lose a commercial aircraft's transponder signal, although this happened much less frequently. However, the simultaneous loss of radio and transponder signal would be a rare an alarming occurrence, and normally indicate a catastrophic system failure or an aircraft crash. In all of these instances, the job of the controller was to reach out to the aircraft, the parent company of the aircraft, and other planes in the vicinity in an attempt to re-establish communications and set the aircraft back on course. Alarm bells would not start ringing until these efforts, which could take five minutes or more, were tried and had failed. 
NORAD Mission and Structure NORAD is a binational command established in 1958 between the United States and Canada. Its mission was, and is, to defend the airspace of North America and protect the continent. That mission does not distinguish between internal and external threats, but because NORAD was created to counter the Soviet threat, it came to define its job as defending against external attacks. The threat of Soviet bombers diminished significantly as the Cold War ended, and the number of NORAD alert sites was reduced from its Cold War high of 26. Some within the Pentagon argued in the 1990s that the alert sites should be eliminated entirely. In an effort to preserve their mission, members of the air defense community advocated the importance of air sovereignty against emerging, quote, asymmetric threats, end quote, to the United States. Drug smuggling, quote, non-state and state-sponsored terrorists, end quote, and the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction and ballistic missile technology. NORAD perceived the dominant threat to be from cruise missiles. Other threats were identified during the 1990s, including terrorists' use of aircraft as weapons. Exercises were conducted to counter this threat, but they were not based on actual intelligence. In most instances, the main concern was the use of such aircraft to deliver weapons of mass destruction. Prior to 9-11, it was understood that an order to shoot down a commercial aircraft would have to be issued by the National Command Authority, a phrase used to describe the President and Secretary of Defense. Exercise planners also assumed that the aircraft would originate from outside the United States, allowing time to identify the target and scramble interceptors. The threat of terrorists hijacking commercial airliners within the United States and using them as guided missiles was not recognized by NORAD before 9-11. Notwithstanding the identification of these emerging threats, by 9-11 there were only seven alert sites left in the United States, each with two fighter aircraft on alert. This led some NORAD commanders to worry that NORAD was not postured adequately to protect the United States. In the United States, NORAD is divided into three sections. On 9-11, all the hijacked aircraft were in NORAD's Northeast Air Defense Sector, also known as NEEDS, which is based in Rome, New York. That morning, NEEDS could call on two alert sites, each with one pair of ready fighters, Otis Air National Guard Base in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and Langley Air Force Base in Hampton, Virginia. Other facilities, not on, quote, alert, end quote, would need time to arm the fighters and organize crews. Needs reported to the Continental U.S. NORAD region, Connor, headquarters, in Panama City, Florida, which in turn reported to NORAD headquarters in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Interagency Collaboration The FAA and NORAD had developed protocols for working together in the event of a hijacking. As they existed on 9-11, the protocols for the FAA to obtain military assistance from NORAD required multiple levels of notification and approval at the highest levels of government. FAA guidance to controllers on hijack procedures assumed that the aircraft pilot would notify the controller via radio or by, quote, squawking, end quote, a transponder code of, quote, 7500, end quote, the universal code for a hijack in progress. Controllers would notify their supervisors, who in turn would inform management all the way up to FAA headquarters in Washington. Headquarters had a hijack coordinator who was the director of the FAA Office of Civil Aviation Security or his or her designate. If a hijack was confirmed, procedures called for the hijack coordinator on duty to contact the Pentagon's National Military Command Center, NMCC, and to ask for a military escort aircraft to follow the flight, report anything unusual, and aid search and rescue in the event of an emergency.
the NMCC would then seek approval from the office of the Secretary of Defense to provide military assistance. If approval was given, the orders would be transmitted down NORAD's chain of command. The NMCC would keep the FAA hijack coordinator up to date and help the FAA centers coordinate directly with the military. NORAD would receive tracking information from the hijacked aircraft either from joint use radar or from the relevant FAA air traffic control facility. Every attempt would be made to have the hijacked aircraft squawk 7500 to help NORAD track it. The protocols did not contemplate an intercept. They assumed the fighter escort would be discreet, quote, vectored to a position five miles directly behind the hijacked aircraft, end quote, where it could perform its mission to monitor the aircraft's flight path. In sum, the protocols in place on 9-11 for the FAA and NORAD to respond to a hijacking presumed that a hijacked aircraft would be readily identifiable and would not attempt to disappear. There would be time to address the problem through the appropriate FAA and NORAD chains of command. And the hijacking would take the traditional form. That is, it would not be a suicide hijacking designed to convert the aircraft into a guided missile. On the morning of 9-11, the existing protocol was unsuited in every respect for what was about to happen. American Airlines Flight 11 FAA Awareness Although the Boston Center air traffic controller realized at an early stage that there was something wrong with American 11, he did not immediately interpret the plane's failure to respond as a sign that it had been hijacked. At 8.14, when the flight failed to heed his instruction to climb to 35,000 feet, the controller repeatedly tried to raise the flight. He reached out to the pilot on the emergency frequency. Though there was no response, he kept trying to contact the aircraft. At 8.21, American 11 turned off its transponder, immediately degrading the information available about the aircraft. The controller told his supervisor that he thought something was seriously wrong with the plane, although neither suspected a hijacking. The supervisor instructed the controller to follow standard procedures for handling a, quote, no radio, end quote, aircraft. The controller checked to see if American Airlines could establish communication with American 11. He became even more concerned as its route changed, moving it into another sector's airspace. Controllers immediately began to move aircraft out of its path and asked other aircraft in the vicinity to look for American 11. At 8.24.38, the following transmission came from American 11. American 11. We have some planes. Just stay quiet, then you'll be okay. We are returning to the airport. The controller only heard something unintelligible. He did not hear the specific words, quote, we have some planes, end quote. The next transmission came seconds later. American 11. Nobody move. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any moves, you'll endanger yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. The controller told us that he then knew it was a hijacking. He alerted his supervisor who assigned another controller to assist him. He redoubled his efforts to ascertain the flight's altitude. Because the controller didn't understand the initial transmission, the manager of Boston Center instructed his quality assurance specialist to, quote, pull the tape, end quote, of the radio transmission, listen to it closely, and report back. Between 8.25 and 8.32, in accordance with the FAA protocol, Boston Center managers started notifying their chain of command that American 11 had been hijacked. At 8.28, Boston Center called the command center in Herndon to advise that it believed American 11 had been hijacked and was heading toward New York Center's airspace. By this time, American 11 had taken a dramatic turn to the south. 
at eight thirty two the command center passed word of a possible hijacking to the operations center at f a a headquarters the duty officer replied that security personnel at headquarters had just begun discussing the apparent hijack on a conference call with the new england regional office f a a headquarters began to follow the hijack protocol but did not contact the NMCC to request a fighter escort. The Herndon Command Center immediately established a teleconference between Boston, New York, and Cleveland centers so that Boston Center could help the others understand what was happening. At 8.34, the Boston Center controller received a third transmission from American 11. American 11. Nobody move, please. We are going back to the airport. Don't try to make any stupid moves. In the succeeding minutes, controllers were attempting to ascertain the altitude of the southbound flight. Military Notification and Response Boston Center did not follow the protocol on seeking military assistance through the prescribed chain of command. In addition to notifications within the FAA, Boston Center took the initiative, at 8.34, to contact the military through the FAA's Cape Cod facility. The center also tried to contact a former alert site in Atlantic City, unaware it had been phased out. At 8.37.52, Boston Center reached Needs. This was the first notification received by the military, at any level, that American 11 had been hijacked. FAA. Hi, Boston Center, TMU, Traffic Management Unit. We have a problem here. We have a hijacked aircraft headed towards New York. And we need you guys to, we need someone to scramble some F-16s or something up there. Help us out. Needs. Is this real world or exercise? FAA. No, this is not an exercise, not a test. Needs ordered to battle stations the two F-15 alert aircraft at Otis Air Force Base in Falmouth, Massachusetts, 153 miles away from New York City. The Air Defense of America began with this call. At Needs, the report of the hijacking was relayed immediately to Battle Commander Colonel Robert Marr. After ordering the Otis fighters to battle stations, Colonel Marr phoned Major General Larry Arnold, Commanding General of the 1st Air Force and NORAD's Continental Region. Marr sought authorization to scramble the Otis fighters. General Arnold later recalled instructing Marr to, quote, Go ahead and scramble them, and we'll get authorities later. End quote. General Arnold then called NORAD headquarters to report. F-15 fighters were scrambled at 8.46 from Otis Air Force Base, but Needs did not know where to send the alert fighter aircraft, and the officer directing the fighters pressed for more information. Quote, I don't know where I'm scrambling these guys to. I need a direction, a destination. End quote. Because the hijackers had turned off the plane's transponder, Needs personnel spent the next minutes searching their radar scopes for the primary radar return. American 11 struck the North Tower at 8.46. Shortly after 8.50, while Needs personnel were still trying to locate the flight, word reached them that a plane had hit the World Trade Center. Radar data show the Otis fighters were airborne at 8.53. Lacking a target, they were vectored toward military-controlled airspace off the Long Island coast. To avoid New York-area air traffic and uncertain about what to do, the fighters were brought down to military airspace to, quote, hold as needed, end quote. From 9.09 to 9.13, the Otis fighters stayed in this holding pattern. In summary, Needs received notice of the hijacking nine minutes before it struck the North Tower. That nine minutes' notice before impact was the most the military would receive of any of the four hijackings. United Airlines Flight 175 FAA Awareness One of the last transmissions from United Airlines Flight 175 is, in retrospect, chilling. By 8.40, controllers at the FAA's New York Center were seeking information on American 11. 
at approximately eight forty two shortly after entering new york center's airspace the pilot of united one seven five broke in with the following transmission ual one seven five new york ual one seven five heavy faa ual one seven five go ahead ual one seven five yeah we figured we'd wait to go to your center uh, we heard a suspicious transmission on our departure out of boston uh, with someone uh it sounded like someone keyed the mics and said uh everyone uh, stay in your seats faa oh okay i'll pass that along over here minutes later united 175 turned southwest without clearance from air traffic control at 847 seconds after the impact of american 11 united 175's transponder code changed and then changed again these changes were not noticed for several minutes, however, because the same New York Center controller was assigned to both American 11 and United 175. The controller knew American 11 was hijacked. He was focused on searching for it after the aircraft disappeared at 8.46. At 8.48, while the controller was still trying to locate American 11, a New York Center manager provided the following report on a command center teleconference about American 11. Manager, New York Center. Okay, this is New York Center. We're watching the airplane. I also had conversations with American Airlines. They told us they believe that one of their stewardesses was stabbed and that there are people in the cockpit that have control of the aircraft, and that's all the information they have right now. The New York Center controller and manager were unaware that American 11 had already crashed. At 8.51, the controller noticed the transponder change from United 175 and tried to contact the aircraft. There was no response. Beginning at 8.52, the controller made repeated attempts to reach the crew of United 175. Still no response. The controller checked his radio equipment and contacted another controller at 8.53, saying that, quote, we may have a hijack, end quote, and that he could not find the aircraft. Another commercial aircraft in the vicinity then radioed in with, quote, reports over the radio of a commuter plane hitting the World Trade Center, end quote. The controller spent the next several minutes handing off the other flights on his scope to other controllers, and moving aircraft out of the way of the unidentified aircraft, believed to be United 175, as it moved southwest and then turned northeast toward New York City. At about 8.55, the controller in charge notified a New York Center manager that she believed United 175 had also been hijacked. The manager tried to notify the regional managers and was told that they were discussing a hijacked aircraft presumably American 11, and refused to be disturbed. At 8.58, the New York Center controller, searching for United 175, told another New York controller, quote, we might have a hijack over here, two of them, end quote. Between 9.01 and 9.02, a manager from New York Center told the command center in Herndon, manager, New York Center, we have several situations going on here. It's escalating big, big time. We need to get the military involved with us. We're, we're involved with something else. We have other aircraft that may have a similar situation going on here. The, quote, other aircraft, end quote, referred to by New York Center was United 175. Evidence indicates that this conversation was the only notice received by either FAA headquarters or the Herndon Command Center prior to the second crash that there had been a second hijacking. While the command center was told about this, quote, other aircraft, end quote, at 9.01, New York Center contacted New York Terminal Approach Control and asked for help in locating United 175 terminal. I got somebody who keeps coasting, but it looks like he's going into one of the small airports down there. Center. 
Hold on a second. I'm trying to bring him up here and get you. There he is, right there. Hold on. Terminal. Got him just out of 9,500. 9,000 now. Center. Do you know who he is? Terminal. We're just, we just, we don't know who he is. We're just picking him up now. Center at 9.02. All right. Heads up, ma'am. Looks like another one coming in. Controllers observed the plane in a rapid descent. The radar data terminated over lower Manhattan. At 9.03, United 175 crashed into the South Tower. Meanwhile, a manager from Boston Center reported that they had decided what they had heard in one of the first hijacker transmissions from American 11. Boston Center. Hey, you still there? New York Region. Yes, I am. Boston Center. As far as the tape, Bobby seemed to think the guy said we have planes. Now, I don't know if it was because it was the accent or if there's more than one, but I'm going to I'm going to reconfirm that for you. And I'll get back to you real quick, okay? New England Region. Appreciate it. Unidentified female voice. They have what? Boston Center. Planes, as in plural. Boston Center. It sounds like, we're talking to New York, that there's another one aimed at the World Trade Center. New England Region. There's another aircraft? Boston Center. A second one just hit the Trade Center. New England Region. Okay. Yeah, we gotta get... We gotta alert the military real quick on this. Boston Center immediately advised the New England Region that it was going to stop all departures at airports under its control. At 9.05, Boston Center confirmed for both the FAA Command Center and the New England Region the hijackers aboard American 11 said, quote, we have planes, end quote. At the same time, New York Center declared, quote, ATC zero, end quote, meaning that aircraft were not permitted to depart from, arrive at, or travel through New York Center's airspace until further notice. Within minutes of the second impact, Boston Center instructed its controllers to inform all aircraft in its airspace of the events in New York and to advise aircraft to heighten cockpit security. Boston Center asked the Herndon Command Center to issue a similar cockpit security alert nationwide. We have found no evidence to suggest that Command Center acted on this request or issued any type of cockpit security alert. Military Notification and Response the first indication that the NORAD air defenders had of the second hijacked aircraft, United 175, came in a phone call from the New York Center to Needs at 9.03. The notice came at about the time the plane was hitting the South Tower. By 9.08, the mission crew commander at Needs learned of the second explosion at the World Trade Center and decided against holding the fighters in military airspace away from Manhattan. Mission crew commander needs. This is what I foresee that we probably need to do. We need to talk to FAA. We need to tell them if this stuff is going to keep on going. We need to take those fighters, put them over Manhattan. That's the best thing. That's the best play right now. So coordinate with the FAA. Tell them if there's more out there, which we don't know. Let's get them over Manhattan. At least we got some kind of play. The FAA cleared the airspace. Radar data show that at 9.13, when the Otis fighters were about 115 miles away from the city, the fighters exited their holding pattern and set a course direct for Manhattan. They arrived at 9.25 and established a combat air patrol, CAP, over the city. Because the Otis fighters had expended a great deal of fuel in flying first to military airspace and then to New York, the battle commanders were concerned about refueling. Needs considered scrambling alert fighters from Langley Air Force Base in Virginia to New York to provide backup. The Langley fighters were placed on battle stations at 9.09. NORAD had no indication that any other plane had been hijacked. American Airlines Flight 77 FAA Awareness 
American 77 began deviating from its flight plan at 8.54, with a slight turn toward the south. Two minutes later, it disappeared completely from radar at Indianapolis Center, which was controlling the flight. The controller tracking American 77 told us he noticed the aircraft turning to the southwest and then saw the data disappear. The controller looked for primary radar returns. He searched along the plane's projected flight path and the airspace to the southwest where it had started to turn. No primary targets appeared. He tried the radios, first calling the aircraft directly, then the airline. Again, there was nothing. At this point, the Indianapolis controller had no knowledge of the situation in New York. He did not know that other aircraft had been hijacked. He believed American 77 had experienced serious electrical or mechanical failure, or both, and was gone. Shortly after 9, Indianapolis Center started notifying other agencies that American 77 was missing and had possibly crashed. At 9.08, Indianapolis Center asked Air Force Search and Rescue at Langley Air Force Base to look for a downed aircraft. The center also contacted the West Virginia State Police and asked whether any reports of a downed aircraft had been received. At 9.09, it reported the loss of contact to the FAA Regional Center, which passed this information to FAA Headquarters at 9.24. By 9.20, Indianapolis Center learned that there were other hijacked aircraft and began to doubt its initial assumption that American 77 had crashed. A discussion of this concern between the manager at Indianapolis and the command center in Herndon prompted it to notify some FAA field facilities that American 77 was lost. By 9.21, the command center, some FAA field facilities, and American Airlines had started to search for American 77. They feared it had been hijacked. At 9.25, the command center advised FAA headquarters of the situation. The failure to find a primary radar return for American 77 led us to investigate this issue further. Radar reconstructions performed after 9.11 reveal that FAA radar equipment tracked the flight from the moment its transponder was turned off at 8.56. But for 8 minutes and 13 seconds, between 8.56 and 9.05, this primary radar information on American 77 was not displayed to controllers at Indianapolis Center. The reasons are technical, arising from the way the software processed radar information as well as from poor primary radar coverage where American 77 was flying. According to the radar reconstruction, American 77 re-emerged as a primary target on Indianapolis Center radar scopes at 9.05, east of its last known position. The target remained in Indianapolis Center's airspace for another six minutes, then crossed into the western portion of Washington Center's airspace at 9.10. As Indianapolis Center continued searching for the aircraft, two managers and the controller responsible for American 77 looked to the west and southwest along the flight's projected path, not east, where the aircraft was now heading. Managers did not instruct other controllers at Indianapolis Center to turn on their primary radar coverage to join in the search for American 77. In sum, Indianapolis Center never saw Flight 77 turn around. By the time it reappeared in primary radar coverage, controllers had either stopped looking for the aircraft because they thought it had crashed, or were looking toward the west. Although the command center learned Flight 77 was missing, neither it nor FAA headquarters issued an all-points bulletin to surrounding centers to search for primary radar targets. American 77 traveled undetected for 36 minutes on a course heading due east for Washington, D.C. By 925, FAA's Herndon Command Center and FAA headquarters knew two aircraft had crashed into the World Trade Center. They knew American 77 was lost. At least some FAA officials in Boston Center and the New England region knew that a hijacker on board American 11 had said, 
quote, we have some planes, end quote. Concerns over the safety of other aircraft began to mount. A manager at the Herndon Command Center asked FAA headquarters if they wanted to order a, quote, nationwide ground stop, end quote. While this was being discussed by executives at FAA headquarters, the command center ordered one at 9.25. The command center kept looking for American 77. At 9.21, it advised the Dulles Terminal Control Facility, and Dulles urged its controllers to look for primary targets. At 9.32, they found one. Several of the Dulles controllers, quote, observed a primary radar target tracking eastbound at a high rate of speed, end quote, and notified Reagan National Airport. FAA personnel at both Reagan National and Dulles airports notified the Secret Service. The aircraft's identity or type was unknown. Reagan National controllers then vectored an unarmed National Guard C-130H cargo aircraft which had just taken off en route to Minnesota, to identify and follow the suspicious aircraft. The C-130H pilot spotted it, identified it as a Boeing 757, attempted to follow its path, and at 9.38, seconds after impact, reported to the control tower, quote, looks like that aircraft crashed into the Pentagon, sir. Military Notification and Response NORAD heard nothing about the search for American 77. Instead, the Needs air defenders heard renewed reports about a plane that no longer existed, American 11. At 9.21, Needs received a report from the FAA. FAA Military, Boston Center. I just had a report that American 11 is still in the air, and it's on its way towards... Heading towards Washington. Needs. Okay. American 11 is still in the air? FAA. Yes. Needs. On its way towards Washington? FAA. That was another... It was evidently another aircraft that hit the tower. That's the latest report we have. Needs. Okay. FAA. I'm going to try to confirm in the ID for you but I would assume he's somewhere over uh, either New Jersey or somewhere further south. Needs. Okay, so American 11 isn't the hijack at all then, right? FAA. No, he is a hijack. Needs. He? American 11 is a hijack? FAA. Yes. Needs. And he's heading into Washington? FAA. Yes. This could be a third aircraft. The mention of a, quote, third aircraft, end quote, was not a reference to American 77. There was confusion at that moment in the FAA. Two planes had struck the World Trade Center, and Boston Center had heard from FAA headquarters in Washington that American 11 was still airborne. We've been unable to identify the source of this mistaken FAA information. The needs technician who took this call from the FAA immediately passed the word to the mission crew commander who reported to the needs battle commander. Mission crew commander. Needs. Okay, um, American Airlines is still airborne. Eleven, the first guy. He's heading towards Washington. Okay? I think we need to scramble Langley right now. But I'm going to take the fighters from Otis. Try to chase this guy down if I can find him. After consulting with needs command, the crew commander issued the order at 9.23, quote, Okay, scramble Langley. Head them towards the Washington area. If they're there, then we'll run on them. These guys are smart, end quote. That order was processed and transmitted to Langley Air Force Base at 9.24. Radar data show the Langley flighters airborne at 9.30. Needs decided to keep the Otis fighters over New York. The heading of the Langley fighters was adjusted to send them to the Baltimore area. The mission crew commander explained to us that the purpose was to position the Langley fighters between the reported southbound American 11 and the nation's capital. At the suggestion of the Boston Center's military liaison, 
Needs contacted the FAA's Washington Center to ask about American 11. In the course of the conversation, a Washington Center manager informed Needs, quote, We're looking. We also lost American 77, end quote. The time was 9.34. This was the first notice to the military that American 77 was missing, and it had come by chance. If Needs had not placed that call, the Needs air defenders would have received no information whatsoever that the flight was even missing, although the FAA had been searching for it. No one at FAA headquarters ever asked for military assistance with American 77. At 9.36, the FAA's Boston Center called Needs and relayed the discovery about an unidentified aircraft closing in on Washington. Quote, Latest report, aircraft VFR, visual flight rules, six miles southeast of the White House, six southwest, six southwest of the White House, deviating away, end quote. This startling news prompted the mission crew commander at Needs to take immediate control of the airspace to clear a flight path for the Langley fighters. Quote, okay, we're going to turn it, crank it up, run them to the White House. End quote. He then discovered, to his surprise, that the Langley fighters were not headed north toward the Baltimore area as instructed, but east over the ocean. Quote, I don't care how many windows you break, he said. Damn it! Okay, push them back! End quote. The Langley fighters were heading east, not north, for three reasons. First, Unlike a normal scramble order, this order did not include a distance to the target or the target's location. Second, a, quote, generic, end quote, flight plan, prepared to get the aircraft airborne and out of local airspace quickly, incorrectly led the Langley fighters to believe they were ordered to fly due east, 090, for 60 miles. Third, the lead pilot and local FAA controller incorrectly assumed the flight plan instruction to go, quote, 090 for 60, end quote, superseded the original scramble order. After the 936 call to Needs about the unidentified aircraft a few miles from the White House, the Langley fighters were ordered to Washington, D.C. Controllers at Needs located an unknown primary radar track, but, quote, it kind of faded, end quote, over Washington. The time was 9.38. The Pentagon had been struck by American 77 at 9.37.46. The Langley fighters were about 150 miles away. Right after the Pentagon was hit, Needs learned of another possible hijacked aircraft. It was an aircraft that, in fact, had not been hijacked at all. After the Second World Trade Center crash, Boston Center managers recognized that both aircraft were transcontinental 767 jetliners that had departed Logan Airport. Remembering the, quote, we have some planes, end quote, remark, Boston Center guessed that Delta 1989 might also be hijacked. Boston Center called Needs at 941 and identified Delta 1989, a 767 jet that had left Logan Airport for Las Vegas as a possible hijack. Needs warned the FAA's Cleveland Center to watch Delta 1989. The command center and FAA headquarters watched it too. During the course of the morning, there were multiple erroneous reports of hijacked aircraft. The report of American 11 heading south was the first, Delta 1989 was the second. Needs never lost track of Delta-1989 and even ordered fighter aircraft from Ohio and Michigan to intercept it. The flight never turned off its transponder. Needs soon learned that the aircraft was not hijacked and tracked Delta-1989 as it reversed course over Toledo, headed east, and landed in Cleveland. But another aircraft was heading toward Washington, an aircraft about which NORAD had heard nothing. United 93. United Airlines Flight 93. FAA Awareness. At 9.27, after having been in the air for 45 minutes, 
United 93 acknowledged a transmission from the Cleveland Center controller. This was the last normal contact the FAA had with the flight. Less than a minute later, the Cleveland controller and the pilots of aircraft in the vicinity heard, quote, a radio transmission of unintelligible sounds of possible screaming or a struggle from an unknown origin, end quote. The controller responded seconds later, quote, Somebody call Cleveland? End quote. This was followed by a second radio transmission with sounds of screaming. The Cleveland Center controllers began to try to identify the possible source of the transmissions and noticed that United 93 had descended some 700 feet. The controller attempted again to raise United 93 several times with no response. At 9.30, the controller began to poll the other flights on his frequency to determine if they had heard screaming. Several said they had. At 9.32, a third radio transmission came over the frequency. Quote, Keep remaining sitting. We have a bomb on board. End quote. The controller understood, but chose to respond. Quote, Calling Cleveland Center. You're unreadable. Say again, slowly. End quote. He notified his supervisor, who passed the notice up the chain of command. By 9.34, word of the hijacking had reached FAA headquarters. FAA headquarters had by this time established an open line of communication with the command center at Herndon and instructed it to poll all its centers about suspect aircraft. The command center executed the request, and a minute later, Cleveland Center reported that, quote, United 93 may have a bomb on board, end quote. At 9.34, the command center relayed the information concerning United 93 to FAA headquarters. At approximately 9.36, Cleveland advised the command center that it was still tracking United 93 and specifically inquired whether someone had requested the military to launch fighter aircraft to intercept the aircraft. Cleveland even told the command center it was prepared to contact a nearby military base to make the request. The command center told Cleveland that FAA personnel well above them in the chain of command had to make the decision to seek military assistance and were working on the issue. Between 9.34 and 9.38, the Cleveland controller observed United 93 climbing to 40,700 feet and immediately moved several aircraft out of its way. The controller continued to try to contact United 93 and asked whether the pilot could confirm that he had been hijacked. There was no response. Then, at 9.39, a fourth radio transmission was heard from United 93. Zia Ah, uh, this is the captain. Would like you all to remain seated. There is a bomb on board and are going back to the airport and to have our demands unintelligible. Please remain quiet. The controller responded, quote, United 93, understand you have a bomb on board. Go ahead. End quote. The flight did not respond. From 9.34 to 10.08, a command center facility manager provided frequent updates to acting deputy administrator Monty Belger and other executives at FAA headquarters as United 93 headed toward Washington, D.C. At 9.41, Cleveland Center lost United 93's transponder signal. The controller located it on primary radar, matched its position with visual sightings from other aircraft, and tracked the flight as it turned east, then south. At 9.42, the command center learned from news reports that a plane had struck the Pentagon. The command center's national operations manager, Ben Sliney, ordered all FAA facilities to instruct all aircraft to land at the nearest airport. This was an unprecedented order. The aircraft control system handled it with great skill, as about 4,500 commercial and general aviation aircraft soon landed without incident. At 9.46, the command center updated FAA headquarters that United 93 was now, quote, 29 minutes out of Washington, D.C., end quote. At 9.49, 
Thirteen minutes after Cleveland Center had asked about getting military help, the command center suggested that someone at headquarters should decide whether to request military assistance. FAA headquarters. They're pulling Jeff away to go talk about United 93. Command center. Um, and do we want to think uh, about scrambling aircraft? FAA headquarters. Oh, God, I don't know. Command center. Uh, that's a decision somebody's going to have to make, probably in the next ten minutes. FAA headquarters. Uh, you know, everybody just left the room. At 9.53, FAA headquarters informed the command center that the deputy director for air traffic services was talking to Monty Belger about scrambling aircraft. Then the command center informed headquarters that controllers had lost track of United 93 over the Pittsburgh area. Within seconds, the command center received a visual report from another aircraft and informed headquarters that the aircraft was 20 miles northwest of Johnstown. United 93 was spotted by another aircraft, and at 10.01, the command center advised FAA headquarters that one of the aircraft had seen United 93, quote, waving his wings, end quote. The aircraft had witnessed the hijackers' efforts to defeat the passengers' counterattack. United 93 crashed in Pennsylvania at 10.03.11, 125 miles from Washington, D.C. The precise crash time has been the subject of some dispute. The 10.03.11 impact time is supported by previous National Transportation Safety Board analysis and by evidence from the Commission's staff analysis of radar, the flight data recorder, the cockpit voice recorder, infrared satellite data, and air traffic control transmissions. Five minutes later, the command center forwarded this update to headquarters. Command center. Okay, uh, there is now on that United 93 FAA headquarters. Yes, command center. There's a report of black smoke in the last position I gave you, 15 miles south of Johnstown, FAA headquarters. From the airplane or from the ground? Command center. Uh, they're speculating it's from the aircraft. FAA headquarters. Okay. Command center. Uh, who? It hit the ground. That's what they're speculating. That's speculation only. The aircraft that spotted the, quote, black smoke, end quote, was the same unarmed Air National Guard cargo plane that had seen American 77 crash into the Pentagon 27 minutes earlier. It had resumed its flight to Minnesota and saw the smoke from the crash of United 93 less than two minutes after the plane went down. At 10.17, the command center advised headquarters of its conclusion that United 93 had indeed crashed. Despite the discussions about military assistance, no one from FAA headquarters requested military assistance regarding United 93, nor did any manager in FAA headquarters pass any of the information it had about United 93 to the military. Military Notification and Response Needs first received a call about United 93 from the military liaison at Cleveland Center at 10.07. Unaware that the aircraft had already crashed, Cleveland passed to Needs, the aircraft's last known latitude and longitude. Needs was never able to locate United 93 on radar because it was already in the ground. At the same time, the Needs mission crew commander was dealing with the arrival of the Langley fighters over Washington, D.C., sorting out what their orders were with respect to potential targets. Shortly after 10.10, and having no knowledge either that United 93 had been heading toward Washington or that it had crashed, he explicitly instructed the Langley fighters, quote, negative, negative clearance to shoot, end quote, aircraft over the nation's capital. The news of a reported bomb on board United 93 spread quickly at needs, the air defenders searched for United 93's primary radar return and tried to locate other fighters to scramble. Needs called Washington Center to report. Needs. 
I also want to give you a heads up, Washington. FAA, DC. Go ahead. Needs. United 9-3. Have you got information on that yet? FAA. Yeah, he's down. Needs. He's down? FAA. Yes. Needs. When did he land? Because we have got confirmation. FAA. He did not land. Needs. Oh, he's down? Down? FAA. Yes. Somewhere up northeast of Camp David. Needs. Northeast of Camp David. FAA. That's the last report. They don't know exactly where. The time of notification of the crash of United 93 was 10.15. The Needs air defenders never located the flight or followed it on their radar scopes. The flight had already crashed by the time they learned it was hijacked. Clarifying the record. The defense of U.S. airspace on 9-11 was not conducted in accord with pre-existing training and protocols. It was improvised by civilians who had never handled a hijacked aircraft that attempted to disappear and by a military unprepared for the transformation of commercial aircraft into weapons of mass destruction. As it turned out, the Needs Air Defenders had nine minutes' notice on the first hijacked plane, no advance notice on the second, no advance notice on the third, and no advance notice on the fourth. We do not believe that the true picture of that morning reflects discredit on the operational personnel at Needs or FAA facilities. Needs commanders and officers actively sought out information and made the best judgments they could on the basis of what they knew. Individual FAA controllers, facility managers, and command center managers thought outside the box in recommending a nationwide alert, in ground-stopping local traffic, and ultimately in deciding to land all aircraft and executing that unprecedented order flawlessly. American Airlines Flight 11, AA-11, Boston to Los Angeles, 759, takeoff, 814, last routine radio communication, likely takeover. 8.19. Flight attendant notifies AA of hijacking. 8.21. Transponder is turned off. 8.23. AA attempts to contact the cockpit. 8.25. Boston Center aware of hijacking. 8.38. Boston Center notifies needs of hijacking. 8.46. Needs scrambles Otis fighter jets in search of AA-11. 8.46.40, AA-11 crashes into 1 WTC, North Tower. 8.53, Otis Fighter Jets Airborne. 9.16, AA Headquarters aware that Flight 11 has crashed into WTC. 9.21, Boston Center advises needs that AA-11 is airborne, heading for Washington. 9.24, needs scrambles Langley Fighter Jets in search of AA-11. United Airlines Flight 175, UA 175, Boston to Los Angeles. 814, takeoff. 842, last radio communication. 842 to 846, likely takeover. 847, transponder code changes. 852, flight attendant notifies UA of hijacking. 854, UA attempts to contact the cockpit. 855, New York Center suspects hijacking. 903-11, Flight 175 crashes into 2 WTC, South Tower. 915, New York Center advises needs that UA-175 was the second aircraft crashed into WTC. 920, UA headquarters aware that Flight 175 had crashed into WTC. American Airlines Flight 77, AA-77, Washington, D.C., to Los Angeles. 8.20, takeoff. 8.51, last routine radio communication. 8.51 to 8.54, likely takeover. 
8.54. Flight 77 makes unauthorized turn to south. 8.56. Transponder is turned off. 9.05. AA headquarters aware that Flight 77 is hijacked. 9.25. Herndon Command Center orders nationwide ground stop. 9.32. Dulles Tower observes radar of fast-moving aircraft, later identified as AA-77. 9.34. FAA advises needs that A-77 is missing. 9.37.46. AA-77 crashes into the Pentagon. 10.30. AA headquarters confirms Flight 77 crash into Pentagon. United Airlines Flight 93, UA 93, Newark to San Francisco. 8.42, takeoff. 9.24, Flight 93 receives warning from UA about possible cockpit intrusion. 9.27, last routine radio communication. 9.28, likely takeover. 9.34, Herndon Command Center advises FAA headquarters that UA 93 is hijacked. 9.36. Flight attendant notifies UA of hijacking. UA attempts to contact the cockpit. 9.41. Transponder is turned off. 9.57. Passenger revolt begins. 10.03.11. Flight 9.3 crashes in field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. 10.07. Cleveland Center advises needs of UA 9.3 hijacking. 10.15. UA headquarters aware that Flight 93 has crashed in Pennsylvania. Washington Center advises needs that Flight 93 has crashed in Pennsylvania. More than the actual events, inaccurate government accounts of those events made it appear that the military was notified in time to respond to two of the hijackings, raising questions about the adequacy of the response. Those accounts had the effect of deflecting questions about the military's capacity to obtain timely and accurate information from its own sources. In addition, they overstated the FAA's ability to provide the military with timely and useful information that morning. In public testimony before this commission in May 2003, NORAD officials stated that at 9.16, Needs received hijack notification of United 93 from the FAA. This statement was incorrect. There was no hijack to report at 9.16. United 93 was proceeding normally at that time. In this same public testimony, NORAD officials stated that at 9.24, Needs received notification of the hijacking of American 77. This statement was also incorrect. The notice needs received at 924 was that American 11 had not hit the World Trade Center and was heading for Washington, D.C. In their testimony and in other public accounts, NORAD officials also stated that the Langley fighters were scrambled to respond to the notifications about American 77, United 93, or both. These statements were incorrect as well. The fighters were scrambled because of the report that American 11 was heading south, as is clear not just from tape conversations at Meads, but also from tape conversations at FAA centers, contemporaneous logs compiled at Meads, Continental Region Headquarters, and NORAD, and other records. Yet this response to a phantom aircraft was not recounted in a single public timeline or statement issued by the FAA or Department of Defense. The inaccurate accounts created the impression that the Langley scramble was a logical response to an actual hijacked aircraft. In fact, not only was the scramble prompted by the mistaken information about American 11, but Needs never received notice that American 77 was hijacked. It was notified at 9.34 that American 77 was lost. Then, minutes later, Needs was told that an unknown plane was six miles southwest of the White House. Only then did the already scrambled airplanes start moving directly toward Washington, D.C. Thus, the military did not have 14 minutes 
to respond to American 77, as testimony to the commission in May 2003 suggested, it had at most one or two minutes to react to the unidentified plane approaching Washington, and the fighters were in the wrong place to be able to help. They had been responding to a report about an aircraft that did not exist. Nor did the military have 47 minutes to respond to United 93, as would be implied by the account that it received notice of the flight's hijacking at 9.16. By the time the military learned about the flight, it had crashed. We now turn to the role of national leadership in the events that morning. End of chapter 1.2